You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. It's great to be back with you guys, as Jeannie said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, we're going to have a good time today studying the scriptures together. And, you know, as we start our conversation, I wanted to ask you, have you ever been like in a dating relationship with someone and then you notice that like they still had the Tinder app on their phone and it's like, okay, that person's not all in. Okay, sister girl, like delete that dude. Okay, he needs to be out of the picture because he's not all in, right? Um, Or have you ever rooted for a sports team like I have? And I wondered if my star player was like shopping free agency. All right, you know, you ever, you ever thought about that? And you're wondering, is the guy all in? You know, and sometimes they're not. Have you ever worked with someone? You start a company or you have, you know, people that work with you and they're always updating their LinkedIn profile. You know what I'm saying? And you know what that means. They're not all in. And one of the things that we know about Jesus is when you start a love relationship with Jesus, he is all in with you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And that's a good place to be, is it not? But today we're going to explore not just him being all in with us because we know he's faithful, but we're going to talk about us being all in with him. And in recent days, we've been in a discussion and a conversation about what it means to be fruitful in our spiritual lives. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people struggle because they think being fruitful means that God's going to give me everything I want. God's going to make me rich. My kids are always going to make the honor roll. You know, my, the Spurs are going to go deep into the playoffs. You know, that, that's what some people think about being fruitful is. And as we've seen from, from the scriptures, that is not always the case, is it? And so I want to take you back just a few years ago when our staff team got together and we started praying about what it means to be a fruitful church. So we had to come up with our mission statement and our language to do that. We prayed, we sought this God in the scriptures. We got, you know, the, the ideas of other church leaders, one of the brilliant church leaders, Chris Hodges, that we learned from. And we came up with this mission statement that we've used ever since here at City Tribe Church because it captures what we're trying to do. And here it is. City Tribe exists to help people who feel far from God. So if you feel far from God, if you don't even believe in God, we're super stoked that you're here. And then the second part of it is we want to help people who feel far from God to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, all in with Jesus. See, in the second half of that mission statement is where we're going to be focusing today. And we accomplish this mission statement in four ways. First, and we put it on the walls if you're here in the theater and it'll be on screen if you're online. First step, we want to help people to know Jesus. That's square one. You got to know Jesus. And then from there, we want to help you to cultivate freedom in your life, from uh, the things that Jeannie talked about, the poor past habits or wounds from your past or whatever. But then from there, we want to help you to discover your purpose. And then we want everyone to make a difference. When you're making a difference, that's when you're leading a fruitful life in Christ. And so we want to speak one transforming declaration or commitment today. And it's simply this, I'm all in. 
And you know how I like to do, I like you to turn to your neighbor and say it, but before you do, I wanna give you some space because if you can't say, I'm all in, there's no guilt or shame in that. Just say, hey, I'm still thinking about it. And that's okay with, with, with everyone around you. But if you are, go ahead and turn to your neighbors and you just tell them with power and conviction, I'm all in. Go ahead and tell them. So, as you're talking to your neighbors, you know, getting all in and all this, I want to show you a chart uh, that helps us to think through our church culture here. And this is one that I looked at this last couple of weeks to kind of evaluate how I'm doing on this as a leader here. And if you look at the chart, look at the upper left-hand corner. Have you ever been to a church that had a, a, a consumer mentality? It was a cozy culture. And you know these types of churches when there's a high invitation into relationship and groups and stuff like that, but there's a low challenge towards following Jesus. Have you ever been to the church? It's like a cozy little family and the pastor coddles everybody and never challenges them to grow. Um, that, well, well, that's the case in some churches. But if you go down one square to the bottom left-hand quadrant, you'll see a boring, apathetic church culture. And that's a church in which there's a low challenge to grow and there's low invitation into relationships, groups, and the like. And in those environments, people are just bored and apathetic about following Jesus. But if you go over one quadrant to the right, to the bottom right-hand corner, some churches have a very stressful environment and climate. And the reason it's stressful is because people kind of want to grow and be challenged. And the, the pastor, you know, like, like is mad at everybody. You ever go to church? It feels like the pastor's really pissed off, you know, and he's yelling at everyone. But he never, there's low invitation, never inviting one, anyone into a, an environment in a group where they can experience love and relationship and all that. And so people in those environments are just frustrated and they, they leave church and they're just like, oh, I, I should be doing more, but, but I don't know what to do. It's like the pastor doesn't show them anything they can do. And where we want to be is that upper right-hand quadrant where we have a discipling environment where you're empowered. Yes, you're challenged, but then you're challenged and you're given something you can do. Like today, we're not just saying, hey, get over your problems from the past. We're saying, hey, we got a thing called Cultivate that starts like in a week and you need to be for signing up, right on? We're saying, you know, the, 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 the Pharisees, they would put this load and this burden on people and Jesus said, you guys don't even lift a finger to help. We're about like, sure, the challenge, but we want to help is what we're trying to do around here. And as I evaluated myself this past week and in prayer, I came to a place where it dawned on me that I have not brought the appropriate level of challenge. And I confess it to the Lord and I apologize to you. And hopefully I can bring that challenge to you today. You know, I resonated with the words of a pastor I really like. His name's Francis Chan. And he said, if Jesus had a church in Simi Valley, mine would be bigger. People would leave his church to attend mine because I call for an easier commitment. And I resonate with that. And I realize, you know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm too nice sometimes. You know, a lot of people would leave, you know, Jesus' church to come to, to this church, but I'm trying to fix that today. So are you with me? I want you to give me some grace today. We're going to look at Jesus' challenge. This is not my challenge. This is the challenge of Jesus. And we're going to study this passage. We're going to read it together and we're going to study it verse by verse 
phrase by phrase. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes were going along with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Because some of you see that Jesus says, if anyone does not hate, and you're like, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was all about love. Well, in this case, he calls you to hate something and we're going to deal with it here in just a minute. So just take a chill pill and relax for a minute. We're going to get to it. Okay. But he says, if anyone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So today, as we unpack this passage and stay here, I'm going to show you five characteristics of an all-in disciple or an all-in follower of Jesus. Look at number one, an all-in disciple cannot follow the multitude. You cannot follow the broader crowd out there. Now, this passage says, now great multitudes were going along with him. And when I first read that, I thought, hey, that's good. Everybody should follow Jesus. It's like the multitudes, the big crowds were following Jesus because Jesus was providing healing and he was like multiplying food and everybody was eating, you know, and everybody loved the miracles and everybody loved the all-you-can-eat buffets. But then when Jesus turned around and challenged people, those of you that have read on in the scriptures, you know this. When he challenged them, many people bailed out. And it's because they were not all in. They wanted the stuff, not the Savior. You follow me? So we want to be all in. You can't follow, follow the broader culture out there or the multitudes. You got to be all in. Now, I want to show you a little, another little chart, these circles of commitment. And I got this from, I think it's in Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Church. All his books are named Purpose Driven, whatever. And it's a little chart that shows you like layers of commitment. See, and it's not perfect. You know, it's like, it's not the Bible, but it's just a little chart that is designed to help us. And it's basically thinks through commitment in a church in America. And we understand the church has all different forms. So it's not a perfect diagram, but it's helpful. And as I go through it, I want you to think about which circle you're currently in right now here at City Tribe Church. If you go to the outer ring, that's the community. That's people out in our community, out in our city. Many uh, are, feel far from God. These are the people that Jesus loves. These are the people that we want to invite to be a part of the spiritual family here. And they may not be here today, but when they come here, they'll be a part of what's called the crowd the crowd would represent the multitudes that Jesus was speaking to when he was, you know, uh, you know, teaching and preaching. And that's what we've studied here in Luke today is the, the crowd. And this is everyone who shows up at any one of our services at City Tribe, any one of our classes, groups or activities, online, whatever, that's the crowd. Some people in the crowd believe in Jesus Others are still trying to figure that out. May not believe in God. We call you our spiritual investigators and you're trying to figure it out and that's okay. And we just say, we're glad you're here, man. And we hope it's helpful for you in your spiritual journey. But as you go one circle in, that's what we'd call the congregation. That's the group of you who 
are buying in here. You, this, you'd call this your regular church. Perhaps you've been to tribal orientation to say, sign me up. I'm committed here. This is my church. But then you go one layer in and you have those who are the committed. These are the people that, sure, they've joined up. This is your church and you're committed to perhaps going to a group of some sort. We call tribes. You support the church financially and the ministries here and you're committed and dedicated to growing spiritually. But then one layer in the very center, you see what we call the core. And this is the group of people that they do all the other stuff that I mentioned before. They're committed here. They're a part. They're a group. And they're what we call our eagles. The eagles are those who come and serve and volunteer to serve others around our city and the people who are attending our services. And we could not do this church without the eagles. They're making a huge difference here in the church and out in the community. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is that some of you are a hybrid and there's grace in this. This is not designed to put guilt on you. This is designed for you to think about because what I understand is that some of you perhaps at one time were a part of the core, but then you're getting your master's degree or you're, you're at a season of life where you can't volunteer all the time. You're writing a dissertation or, you know, you're caring for, you know, a parent who's going through hospice or something like that. And you may fluctuate back and forth between one circle or another. And so I'm not showing you this to heap guilt on anyone. But generally speaking, what the idea is to grow spiritually is to move closer into the core according to the season of life you're in. Is that making sense? And so we want to be all in. But look at number two. An all-in disciple follows Jesus most of all. Remember, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, he says. He didn't say anyone who comes to Pastor Doug, right? It's coming to Jesus. And here's what happens to a lot of people is that their faith was completely in some religious leader. And I want you to understand that that's what happens to people when their faith was in some religious leader or some pastor or group leader or something like that. And then when they disagree with the, the church leader or when the church leader you know, makes a mistake or does something wrong, then they just totally bail out on their faith because it was placed in the wrong person. And what I want you to understand is that I'm just a human being, and I want to ask you, in your minds, don't put me on too high of a pedestal because I'm trying to point you to Jesus. Now, that's what Paul was trying to do too, and what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, hey, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so that's what we're trying to do. And all of us who grow spiritually do so by submitting ourselves, being in the environment of someone who is helping us to grow spiritually. And as I do that as a pastor, I'm a man under authority. I don't just do whatever I want around the church. We have a group of people called overseers that are outside our church and they can fire me. They can, you know, they're, they're hard in just to find me doing something wrong. They pastor me as well. And when I make big decisions, I not only have our church overseers, but I also have what I call uh, an advisory group or board, and I pass decisions by them. And to date, I have not made any big decisions of leadership here in the church without having 100% approval and buy-in from my advisory group and our church overseers. So I'm under authority. 
And you, many of you, as you go to groups, you submit yourself to a group leader to learn from them and to grow from them. But what we all understand is that it's all about Jesus most of all. So when Jesus spoke the words that are recorded in Luke, he was still alive on the earth. But those of you that have read the story know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit to fill believers and the Holy Spirit helped to set up the church where there are pastors and teachers and elders and the like who uh, lead us uh, and, and all of us together are submitted first to Jesus to follow him. And I'm inviting you in to follow Jesus as we follow him here at City Tribe Church. Now look at number three. An all-in disciple, here's the one that you know I, I referenced earlier. An all-in disciple hates others compared to his or her love for Christ, for Jesus. Remember, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children cannot be my disciple. And some of you are like, hey, that's good. I'm already there. I hate my family. Those people are crazy, right? All right. Well, before you use the Bible to justify hating your family, the thing that's pretty obvious here, and you know, Bible scholars will tell you this, is that Jesus is using a literary technique called hyperbole, where you overstate the case to make a point, right? And we know that because what Jesus actually lived out was loving and honoring his parents. And when you follow Jesus to the cross, he is dying on the cross, still honoring his mother. And he did this by taking care of her after he was gone, he says to his disciple, John, John, this is now your mother. And mom, you know, you know, this is now your son. He was basically connecting those two that, so that John could take care of his mother when he was gone, you see? And then as the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words, honor your father and mother. And so when we follow Christ, we honor our parents. And here's what he does. You think that, He's trying to get you to do something hard when you put him first above your family. But when you put him first, he actually heals the relationships that you have with many of your family members. And I can tell you that before I made the commitment, when I was in high school, before I made the commitment to be an all-in follower of Jesus, my relationship to my parents, my family was a mess because my parents got these calls. Like they got a call from the school. I was always in trouble at the school and, you know, I'd gone to science class and I was like throwing condoms around in the science class. And then I went to the typing class and I put marijuana seeds in the planter of my typing teacher's plants and like growing weed there, right there in the typing class. And some of you who are new here, you're like, did he just say that? Did he say that? Did he just, that's the pat. Yeah, get used to it. There's more where that came from, all right? Like, got to keep it real here at City Tribe, right? Let's just tell the way it happened, okay? And here's the straw that almost broke the camel's back with my parents. They got a call from the police who had me in custody because I went to a department store with some of my friends and we were people bowling. Do you know what people bowling? Do we know that? Okay, it's where you go to the toy department and you get those balls in the toy department, you roll it down the aisle and the more people you hit, the more points you get in the game, okay? But the store manager did not appreciate the people bowling and he got his police officers to get us. My parents were ready to send me away but they just thank God that that jagged little pill, God got him, right? And it's like changed his heart and changed his life. And so when I started becoming an all-in disciple of Jesus, it actually saved the relationship with my parents and healed it. 
but in different families, it'll mean different things. Because I've got a friend named Fareed Tolba. You'll see him pictured on screen with his awesome wife, Becky. Fareed and I went to teach in the Holy Land in Israel. We taught the Bible to college students. And uh, Fareed, when he grew up, he grew up Muslim. And when he started becoming an all-in follower of Jesus, he was pushed out and his family disowned him. It was years before Fareed could even be in contact with his dad. And in many parts of the world, this is the case. In many parts of the world, people who decide to follow Jesus lose their family. And that is very much the context of what was happening with Jesus, why he had to speak these words. He's like, hey, you follow me first, even above your family in this case. And remember that Jesus said, it's not just having a higher priority than your family, that he's not just higher priority family. He's a higher priority than you have on yourself. Remember he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if you follow our world and the culture out there, what's the culture going to say to you? They're going to say, be true to yourself. You do you, right? Or in the words of the great theologian, Napoleon Dynamite, follow your heart. But if you think about that, which part of your heart are you going to follow? Because in my heart, I want to lose weight. But in my heart, I want those tacos. You know? In my heart, I want to eat steak and cake every night. But also in my heart, I don't want to die of a heart attack. In my heart, I, I, I so desperately want to work out and be healthy. But also in my heart, I want to chill, dude. When you follow Jesus, you don't follow your heart. You follow his first, see? And what you realize, what you realize is that he's actually trying to give you something better. Now, he has a good heart for you. He wants good for you. Now, go to, go to the next one, be number four. An all-in disciple must carry his or her own cross. You know, you have a cross to bear. Some of you are bearing it right now. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And when I was younger, in high school, I was trying to decide, do I really want to follow Jesus? There were two things that I knew were a cross for me that I did not, I for sure did not want to do. Let me show them to you. Number one, I didn't want to tell others about Jesus. I was embarrassed. I was in high school. I didn't want to be that guy, right? That's like talking to people about, you know, religion or something like that. Um, but I knew I would have to. I was an approval addict at that time in my life. I didn't want to tell other people. But you look, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where the, the scriptures say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses doing what? Telling people. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I took up the cross, I crucified my people-pleasing and my teenage dude, cool guy reputation that I thought I had, and I decided to obey. So I go over to my friend Eb's house. Eb had been on my baseball teams, you know, and he was like the smartest guy in our class, and I go over, I knock on Eb's door, I'm like, Eb, dude, I, uh, you know, Jesus, like, totally changed my life, and I don't know everything there is to know about it, and there are a lot of people that know a lot about it 
more about the Bible and Jesus than I do, but I'm just going to tell you straight up the best I know how. Look, man, and I want you to know him because it's changed my life. And we, I shared the gospel with him that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. If you believe it and receive it, then you could know him too. And to my surprise, he said, okay. He prayed to receive Christ. That was pretty awesome, but it doesn't always work that way. There's another guy that had been on some of my sports teams. You know, we played football and, you know, baseball and basketball together. And I went over to Wayne's house. I knock on Wayne's door. Uh, he invites me in. You know, we're, we're going to talk. And, um, you know, he, he lights up his cigarette. You know, I'm glad he is. I just wanted him to be able to chill and relax and listen, you know. And so we're talking. And I say, Wayne, you know, Jesus has changed my life. I want you to know him. I shared the gospel with him. And you know what he did? He took a drag off his cigarette and he blew smoke in my face. <sighs> just laughed in my face. So see, it doesn't always go the way you want. That'll happen. But I had a piece that I'd done what I was called to do. You follow me? Now there's, I go to this other friend, his name's Greg. And Greg had one of those fast transams. Remember those vintage, they're vintage now, they weren't vintage back then, but it's like one of those transams that had the bird on the hood. Anybody remember bird on the hood transam right on? Okay, you got to be blaring Van Halen in that sucker, right? You know, so it's like, that's what's going on there. And so I get in Greg's car and every time you get in that transam, you're taking your life in your own hands, bro. I'm just telling you that right now. And so he's like, dude's like, Dukes of Hazard getting airborne. You know, we're just hauling around town and uh, we stop in a parking lot and I'm like, Greg, look, if you die in your Trans Am tonight trying to kill other people and make other people have heart palpitations, or do you know you're going to spend eternity with God, right? And I shared the gospel with him, and we had talked about Jesus many other times. And that night, in a parking lot, in a Trans Am with a bird on the hood, we had church and encountered God. My friend Greg came to believe in Jesus, right? On. And here's what was happening is that what I thought was a cross, and I was embarrassed to do when I crucified my own people-pleasing, God gave me a greater gift to see some of my friends changing and now experiencing him. God always wants to give you something better if you crucify something. Now, look at the second cross of mine, the thing I had to crucify, is that I knew that if I was going to follow Jesus, I had to read my Bible. And at that stage of my life, I didn't like to read anything, okay? I mean, I was okay with comic books, you know, and I would read those magazines about rock bands and stuff like that. Like I used to like that band Kiss a lot, you know, the face makeup guys, you know, their magazine about Kiss or a comic book, I would read it, right? Because there's a lot of pictures and stuff that I did not like to read. Anybody like me that, that struggled with reading? Okay, this, I, I didn't like it. And so I knew I'd have to start reading. If you look in the scriptures, you see verses like where Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And then later in 2 Timothy 2.15, this uh, says, study, show thyself approved, a workman who can uh, needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so Jesus calls us to read his words, meditate on his words and stuff that's in the scriptures, and he modeled it as well. In, in fact, you'll see in the Bible, if you've ever read that story of when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness? How did he combat the devil? Well, go with me to Matthew chapter four, verse four. Jesus said what? Tell me those words out loud. It is written. He's like, it is written. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the reason Jesus knew this is because he could look back at creation 
in Genesis at the first lie, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, and here's the lie every time, did God really say, did God really say, you will not be successful at overcoming temptations and following Jesus if you don't read his word, learn it, love it, and live it. It helps us connect to Jesus. But what happened with me is I had to start just reading a couple of verses at a time. Because remember, I, I, I didn't read anything but comic books and stuff. So I would just read a little bit at a time. But I didn't care. Jesus doesn't care if I read two verses or two chapters. I just read what I had the capacity to read. Because I would know if, I'd rather know a few things for certain than be uncertain about a whole lot of things. How about you, right? And so I just read a couple of verses at a time and it would speak to me. And then I started to get this appetite for more. I started to crave his word. Like I have an addiction. It is a Bible addiction. I still can't get enough. Like I got to get my fix every day. You know what I'm saying? Of his word. And what I thought was going to be a cross or was a pain became life to me. Words from the scripture have got me through all kinds of hard times and temptations in my life. And I want to ask you something today. My two crosses, when I started following Jesus, were telling others and reading the scriptures. What are your crosses? Stuff that you know are ideas that come from the scriptures that, would, that you just don't want to do. And you're like, God, I don't want to do that. Well, that's your cross. And you have to submit it to him. Look at number five. An all-in disciple must count the costs. He says here, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost, see if he has enough to complete it. And here's where a lot of people get deceived. is because a lot of people are taught and told by pastors that if you follow Jesus, that you're never going to struggle with anxiety and that it's, you're going to all feel better. Anybody? People are told, you follow Jesus, and he's going to provide you with a hot, rich spouse. You follow Jesus, and all these good things are going to happen to you. Now, what's the truth? Does God sometimes heal us? Yeah. Does God sometimes love to bless us? Yeah. But does he always do that stuff? Nope. Let me show you a Russian pastor. We used to do training for pastors in Russia. And this pastor's name, the guy in the suit, his name is Pastor Valentin. And this dude's old school. Like he was preaching back in the old Soviet Union where the KGB comes to visit you. And what you can't see in this picture is that Pastor Valentin is missing three fingers. Well, what's the story behind that? Every time he would preach Jesus in his church, the KGB would come and visit him and cut off one of his fingers. That's what happened. And he was asked, well, why'd they stop hassling you? And he said, I guess they figured I only had seven more fingers because dude is all in. You follow me? And I've sometimes thought, what would happen to our church attendance if the authorities start going crazy and start coming into our church and lopped off the fingers of everybody who was openly speaking about Jesus? Would you be here? See, this is what it means to be all, you got to count the cost. And we're in this American bubble, but let me tell you, who knows what could happen in the future? I don't think I know. 
All I know is I need to prepare my heart. If they start lopping off pastor's fingers, I hope and pray that I will stand firm on that day for my good best friend, Jesus, who loves me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer joined the underground in Germany back when Hitler was murdering and slaughtering Jews. And he spoke out against Hitler's regime. So those authorities took him when he was in his late 30s and they took him out to the woods and executed him for following Jesus. But not before he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And the quote from that book is, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So calculate the cost and think about that before you decide if you're going to follow Jesus. Unfortunately, the practice of persecuting Christians is actually increasing in the world. If you look at the broader world around us, perhaps some of you remember just a few short years ago, the 21 Coptic martyrs who had their heads cut off by ISIS Islamic extremists. And as those Islamic extremists were with small knives cutting off, slowly cutting off the heads of these men. These men said, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. They made an impact in the world. And one author went to that community to interview the people there. And he wrote a book called The 21, A Journey into the Land of the Coptic Martyrs. And he interviewed their families, you know, their wives and mothers and sisters. And he was surprised by how they were responding. He thought it would be a group of people that were still crying and mourning. And here's what he said about their response. No lamentation, no mourning, no pity, but instead pride and happiness. Their faith was thriving. Their church was growing. And something unprecedented happened when the Egyptian government, that's usually a little bit hostile towards Christ's followers, gave this church a half a million dollars to rebuild their building so they could have a church. They were growing numerically, and the people were growing in their faith. So it's true what the early church father Tertullian said, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And when we submit our very lives to Jesus, we become fruitful like these men who were in a hostile environment, see? And now I want to talk to those of you that are spiritual investigators just for a minute because I know what some of you are thinking. Why would someone die for a guy that lived, you know, a couple of thousand years ago? I'll tell you why people still do it to this day. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. And I can tell you that the 21 Coptic martyrs did not die in order to earn a love relationship with Jesus. They died because they already had one. Because he had already given them the greatest gift they could ever receive eternal life and love relationship with him. And he rewarded them in eternity beyond what we could imagine. But you start relationship with him through a gift, a gift that you can receive right now, today. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you to bow your heads in prayer. 
And if you've never begun a love relationship with Jesus and you're compelled or called to that today, I want to just have you talk to him. This is private. It's in your own heart and mind. And you just say to him something like a lot of people have said, there's no magic prayer, but the attitude of your heart's what's most important. And just tell God in your mind, God, I choose today to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He rose again from the dead to give me a new life. Welcome into my life, Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now look at me for a minute. That was one commitment in prayer is receiving a gift. But the second one is going to be a prayer to be an all in disciple. And if you're going to make this commitment and prayer, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to say out loud. And I'm going to ask you if you're going to do it to stand up. There's not going to be any mood music or anything to like get you in the mood. It may be hard, but you understand that is the commitment of an all in disciple. And so, and look, I want to say this before we do this part. If you're not really all in about this, don't feel any guilt and shame. If you're at a place right now where you're not ready to do that, like uh, no guilt and shame, that's not what we're about here. I would rather you not stand up and say these words than do it and not really mean it. You follow me? And so if you're ready, and by the way, Pastor Joe was telling me when we were looking over my sermon together, he said, I have to pray that commitment every day. And so if this is going to be your commitment today, I want to invite you to stand up and pray these words out loud with me. Simply this. Say this. Jesus, the best I know how, I commit to be an all-in disciple. Lord Jesus Christ, whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I love you more than anyone. I love you more than anything. Jesus, I give you my very life. Amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and take a seat. And I want to honor you, whether you could pray that or not today. Love you. And as we wrap up today, next week, I'll be back and we'll study a story in Luke of what's called the rich young ruler who was asked of Jesus to give everything. And so uh, we'll, we'll explore that story from the scriptures next Sunday. Also, one of the ways that we worship here is through our tithes and offerings. And if you're new to church, I understand what you may be thinking right now. Just relax. I mean, we're not like trying to gouge you for your money. We're trying to help here. But you're smart enough to know that you, you can't have a building and turn the lights on without the resources to do it. And so those of us that follow Jesus here at City Tribe Church. There are a lot of great churches and ministries around the world, but those of us that are committed to do that here, we bring our tithes and offerings in, in order to fund stuff that helps people. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, there are four different ways to get that done, you know, online, by mail, text, or in person at the giving stations. And so if you're new here and you'd like to know how to do that, or you just walk up to the giving station, you just get some help from one of our ushers or greeters around if they, but, but it's pretty simple to do. You can just go one of the stations or go to citytribe.church slash tithe and, and take care of it that way. Because when we're all in followers of Jesus, what we tend to do is we're not like stingy guts who are thinking, what's the minimum amount I can do? We're saying, 
what's the minimum amount I should keep as I'm trying to invest in the kingdom of Jesus in this world. And so let's stand together before you guys worship through your stewardship. And if you're comfortable to put out a hand in the position to receive and receive these words over you, dear brothers and sisters, as you go from this place, go from here as all in disciples. And before you guys go, I want you to know something. I know that this was for some of you a very hard word to receive, but I want you to know I'm telling it to you because I love you. There's a proverb that says the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And one of the greatest privileges of my life is that you allow me to be your pastor. I love you and I thank God for you. And so you guys go from here as all in disciples of Jesus. We'll see you next week. Bye now. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.